Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to InsureTech Amplified. Today, we are joined by Pablo Segovia-Smith, a partner at BCG's insurance practice, and Guglielmo de Stefano, or G, a senior solutions analyst at BCG FinTech Control Tower. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really, really appreciate it. And before we jump into the main part of this conversation, can you both give our listeners a little bit of your background for some context? And Pablo, maybe we start with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us. Pablo Segovia, I'm a partner out of our insurance practice in Boston. I've, over the years, specialized in innovative business models, in digitization, and changing operating models for carriers, really thinking through InsurTech in a very broad way since its inception and allowing carriers to innovate and accelerate innovation with these InsurTechs. So yeah, first of all, thanks for having us. Uh, my name is Guglielmo, you can call me G, as you said, and I'm um, a senior solution analyst at the FinTech Control Tower. FinTech Control Tower is an internal practice within BCG X. Uh, with a focus on fintech, insurtech, and regtech ecosystems. So we help financial institutions navigate these spaces. Been with the FCT for the past five and a half, six years almost. And in my latest role, yeah, I've been driving the product data analytics strategy, uh, supporting case teams and BCG's clients, uh, you know, with fintech, insurtech related data research and consulting efforts contributed to the uh, total leadership agenda with a key focus on, on InsurTech and have been cooperating a lot with uh, INSPA, uh, like insurance practice at BCG and working with people like Pablo. Awesome. The reason why I wanted to have you guys on is because I noticed that BCG had recently published a report entitled The Future of P&C Insurance, Lessons for Insurance from an Inflection Point in InsurTech. And I just really want to find out more about it. Pablo, maybe you can give us a little bit of an overview on this and a little bit of why. Yeah, it's it's no secret that over the past years and since we've been tracking the insurtech activity, there's been 59, 60% CAGR of growth in investments in insurtech world. It's been an incredible ride and it's generated, as we we're saying, a lot of innovation that at some point started a little bit as a it started as more competitive nature, and then it's been more of enabling insurers yeah. to do some of the tasks that they haven't been able to over the years. It's been an, an incredible ride, incredible acceleration in terms of the amount of funding. But recently, right, starting in 2022, we started to see a decline. We started to see a decline of 50, 75%, depending on, on the, the type of, of insure tech that made us think, who who are the winners and losers in the space, right? Is now that you know the 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 funding has in a way disappeared very substantially, who will emerge as the the players that what, what are the characteristics of the players that are emerging as the ones that will continue to be successful in this world, right? And in this world of heightened competition, we started to see certain details that we thought were really interesting, right? In looking at the data. That was, there still were some ideas that were still being funded, right? Although there was a massive decline in funding, there was still some ideas that were being, that were being funded. Some uh, startups, right, that were still 
in in the in the latter rounds, many of them weren't seeing support from investors. But others, especially Series E plus, were getting still significant funding, as well as some in the early stages where there was ideas around Gen AI and around AI in general, where there was a lot of investment happening. So this made us think a little bit of like, who are right. the winners? What are the characteristics? And what can carriers learn of this exciting time in the insurtech world? So many things to unpack there. I want to get back to one of the things that Pablo said a little bit earlier, where you were trying to determine what some of the characteristics were meant to be of some of the more successful companies. I wonder if you want to address that a little bit now. Either one of you, Pablo, maybe you want to do that? As, as I said, InsureTech, InsureTech has been a journey where many of them started focusing on a specific segment of the value chain, such as you know policy administration, later expanded into adjacent areas of the value chain. Some of the more established ones that we see today, right, have started with specific lines of business like personal lines and maybe expanded into other areas like commercial. Typically, they offer a diverse range of products and services. Really thinking about, you know, again, starting many times small, but then thinking about how to tailor it to specific needs of each type of clients they had, right? Most of them trying to establish these commercial relationships with insurers Again, in a way, the insurers have access to the end users. They have access to the data that many of the insure techs need in order to, to really optimize, learn, and then and then be able to sell a lot of those services to the insure, insurers in a, in, a, in a much more accelerated way. For the emerging ones, what we're starting to see is that many of them are creating many kind of point solutions testing some innovative technologies like AI, like blockchain, uh, generative AI, very much everyone is included. Some of them, are, we're seeing that they're offering relatively narrow set of services and slowly enhancing those offerings by, in a way, providing supplemental products, right, as they continue their partnerships with, with technology companies. But the emerging insure techs, most of them are willing to partner with large insurers to, to really test the products on those large data sets, on those large sets of customers, and, and learn and evolve their offerings, right? So we see those two kind of characteristics and differences between those established and the emerging insure techs. Do you feel like the insure techs, the earlier stage ones now, looked back historically, going back to 2015, and learned that if your biggest clients are going to be the carriers and the insurers themselves, that running around talking about disrupting them is probably not the best way to get them to work with you. And that that was actually a flipping point or a tipping point to get them to say, instead of being disruptors, we have to be enablers. Like, do you remember a point where that happened? And was it just the funding winter that happened? Because you're right, a lot of things came together at the same time, right? Particularly the rising interest rates, which made money more expensive, which means that returns have to be higher. Just standard stuff, yeah? Yeah. I mean, look, insurance is a is a regulated industry, right? And is an industry that requires a lot of capital to operate. This makes the barriers to entry to disruptors very, very hard. We've seen examples of insurtechs trying to be full stack insurers that have investors in a way put too much in a premium on growth without understanding that growth in insurance is, is expensive and many times unsuccessful, right? Because yeah. you're you're 
incentivizing somewhat of adverse selection and and in a way maybe taking what others don't want that have much more knowledge and experience than you do yeah but again that that said the, the what we try to do in this in this paper and fo the focus of ours is more on the enablers understanding the there are a handful of insure techs that are following a little bit more of the disruption angle and they're trying to push as full stack insurers the majority of them are very wisely taking a role of we are enablers we are yet another technology solution that you can embed in your stack to you know improve many of the things that insurers alone don't have the ability or the knowledge to immediately tackle yeah and to be fair the 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 benefits of scale are there as well right because these smaller insurtechs that are building value chain innovations can then sell them to all of the insurers and it means that for things that they can't do themselves they have immediate um, impact on scale. I want to back up a That's little right. bit and talk to Pablo about like what were some of the decisions on made and what to focus on, right? And how did you think about breaking up and sort of categorizing the landscape? One of the things that that maybe G can talk a little bit about is how we thought about how the fintech control tower maintains a pretty detailed database of all of the insure tech activity that is happening that is super valuable for us to be able to yeah. to to take the, to take a look at the market this way. Gee, why don't you go there and then I'll maybe share a little bit of how we we then decompose this with a focus on PNC. So the SCT database is counts 34,000 fintechs, uh, of which around 3,000 insurtechs. And we map companies to our property taxonomy. So InsurTech is one of the verticals that we track in, within financial services. So we're able to tell if a company, you know, operates in the payments, um, vertical, lending, capital markets, and so forth. InsurTech is one of the verticals. We have 3,000 InsurTechs mapped to globally, uh, mapped across six perspectives. So one is the product lines perspective. So we're able to tell if a company is a PNC, life, health, multi-line, uh, company, but then we also have the value chain segment perspective, so claims, uh, risk assessment, underwriting, and so forth. Operating models, so for companies, a digital insurer, a tech platform, MGA broker, technology angle as well. So, you know, like we tag companies according to the main technology stack that they leverage, could be AI, Gen AI, uh, IoT, blockchain, and so forth. Business models as well. So we're able to tell, you know, like channels, if a company is a B2C, B2B, or B2B2X. And finally, themes as well. So like we tag companies according to the space they belong to, uh, irrespective of the product they offer, the, the operating model, the leverage, um, and themes, common themes are embedded insurance, parametric, macro insurance, and, and so forth. So for so what we did like at the beginning of you know like working on these reports, we um, considered the three thousand insure techs that we track globally, and then we apply different lenses. Uh, so one is of course the um, the line of business, like the products lens, uh, as the report um, has been sponsored in a way by the uh, PNC uh, sub practice within uh, INSPA, like the insurance practice of PCG. And we selected like the companies with like the pure PNC um, companies, like InsurTechs, but also the multi line companies with a PNC component. 
Then we apply the geographic uh, lens uh, or um, criteria. So we focused on InsurTax in uh, eight quarters in North America, Europe, and Israel. And then the operating model criteria, as Pablo just said, so we like focused on uh, brokers, agents, like technology platforms, excluding risk carriers, like digital risk carriers. And then, so we end up with uh, 1,400 InsurTax uh, split across the value five value chain segments, um, you know, the classic five value chain segments of, of insurance value chains, so product development, sales and distribution, underwriting, policy admin, and, and claims management. So what we did is for the main section of the report, we look at different um, items for, you know, like these five buckets, uh, such as pain points faced by insurers, uh, the core features leveraged by this insure tax, uh, examples of you know winning players, but both established and emerging, and then also like a bit of the perspectives on future dynamics. So what's next for each of these buckets? And look at at the end of the day, as as you were saying, if we with the focus of PNC, with the focus on on which of these insurtechs would be valuable for for carriers, we let, let me give you like an example right across the different elements of the value chain. So if you think about underwriting. And you know, if, if if you take a, a a big step back at the carriers, what they're most struggling with, right, is their three things in a way. One is the inability to really quickly make sense of the data, yeah, the vast amount of data that exists out there. Two is determining and deciding when to invest in assessing the risk, right, meaning. They are very much spending time reading, capturing, assessing information that is very time consuming and relatively expensive, right? Because we've got knowledge workers doing doing all of that work. Right. It potentially increases errors, right? And and ultimately affects the accuracy of the decision that will impact your loss ratio, right? Right. And the the last like pain point is really around the decision making speed and the inconsistency of underwriting decisions, right? So many times, again, given the manual nature of this of this effort, it really takes them, insurers and underwriters, takes them quite a little bit of time to quickly assess, is this, will this be you know, a risk that I want to take on my books? It causes processing delays. It causes issues with you know, your, your customer, your broker experience, and potentially, quite a little bit of increased workload from going back and forth between junior and senior underwriters, right? Right. And ultimately, we're all people, right? So the what we've seen is that one same submission is being shared to two different underwriters, has very, very different uh, decisions, even though they're all respecting their rules and, and underwriting rules. At the end of the day, it's very much underwriters many times still believe that underwriting is a, is an art and, and we're... We believe it's a little bit of an art and a science, right? Yeah. So, so these three pain points around data gathering, risk assessment, underwriting support, are things that insurtechs are actively addressing. And how are they doing it, right? So, they insurtechs are thinking about how can you bring enhanced risk metrics, right? That are, in a way, summaries of data, right? So instead of sharing data from you know, a myriad of sources of telematics, IoT devices, social media, et cetera. They're offering 
insights instead of data, right? Really accelerating that pain point from data gathering to insight generation. Right. Others around, they're working on streamlined risk evaluation, right? Think about using AI, using RPA to really accelerate all of that manual effort that we were talking about that is so prone to errors and so time consuming, right? Helping underwriters focus on what matters more is to actually assess the risk, right? And more accurately underwrite the policy, right? Others are thinking about really accelerating decision-making with, again, applying an, uh, uh, advanced analytics, right? So providing guidance to underwriters on, on where premiums should should fall and should sit, as well as providing some guidance on, on pricing, right? So the, those, I think, are in a way, the three kind of main pain points and what insure techs are doing to, to try to solve those pain points. Gee, any any specific examples any, that you found were really interesting as 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 we we're doing the research? Before we get to G, can I just ask you a follow up question, if you don't mind? Yeah. Do you is there anything to learn? Because this this conversation that you just had, that those statements you just made, remind me very very clearly of what happened on equity trading desks in the early two thousands, where there was just <laughs> so much more real time data coming in and the where you did the risk assessment, how you did the risk assessment, also how you made trading decisions, which in my mind is equivalent in a way to an underwriting decision. It's just that those trading decisions happen more often. Do you think there is an equivalent sort of, and we use artificial intelligence as well to analyze back data to come up with trading algorithms to make sure that we traded better. And again, before that, people thought trading was a little bit of art and a little bit of science. It just sounds really familiar to me. Is there anything to learn from what trading desks went through in the mid aughts to what underwriters are going through now. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, look, and I, and I think that as always, there's, this is a huge evolution yep. of the underwriting space, right? Some of the initial insure techs, right? The, I mean, now we call them insure techs, but not before they were what right. they were. They were more about just generating data from some of the connected devices, right? So yeah. they were able to more efficiently tap into connect, into data sources using APIs to, to aggregate or even to generate data, right? Uh, many of them, we're talking about drones, satellite imagery, right? And doing things that ensure that, that normal carriers couldn't really do, right? Then as, as they've started to continue to evolve, there's been more and more decision-making support, right? So again, going from big data gathering to actually thinking about insights, Right, generating insights, helping underwriters, helping underwriters kind of make decisions as well. Yeah. Now we're starting to get into, you know, as a lot of the insurers have all created underwriting workbenches or trying to evolve their underwriting workbenches, how can you streamline that process, embedding those insights into the workflow to eliminate a lot of the wasted effort, a lot of the um, accelerate turnaround times, accelerate the speed to quote, eliminate a lot of the wasted efforts around declining submissions, out, out of appetite submissions, et cetera, right? And I think the next frontier, right, is as we continue to think about what is in store for underwriting, right? There's a, there's a huge question now of like, how will Gen AI impact insurers? Yeah. What if, right? And we and we ask the question, and we're you know still still early early innings. But what if underwriters were supported by generative AI co-pilots, right? That are 
in taking a lot of the data, doing a lot of summarization, providing a written response that allows them to support with decision-making, right? Could underwriting for commercial insurance, maybe it's more small commercial, but could it reach straight through processing levels similar to personal lines, right? Yeah. Like, is is that the next frontier, right? So I, I think there's, there's really interesting questions as you think about the evolution of where a lot of the insurtech started and where they're going, right? That, that to me, also does, you know, poses a question of like, who will be the winners in the space, right? Who will be the winners in the space, especially thinking about that now everything is starting to be more and more integrated into these workflows. Yeah. And a lot of the players that have a starting position in those workflows could have an advantage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you want to talk a little bit, Pablo, about some of the other things you were, that you were mentioning, maybe some some of the pain points and claims as well? Absolutely. And look, it's similar, right? It's yeah. similar nature in that some of the big pain points that we've seen over the years in claims has been first like information gathering, right? For triage, for the claims adjustment. As as you well know, that is even some insurers don't even are aren't even able to identify early on what are the limits of the policies that the that the first notification of loss is, even within their own systems, right? right? claims fraud, right? Although it's you know not as prevalent as you may think, but there's still quite a little bit of opportunity in identify, spot it, and potentially, you know, do some things that that can that can help in in preventing that. There's a huge variance in the cost and the outcomes of claims handling. We've seen junior claims adjusters pay out on a normalized basis you know, 30, 40% more than what a senior claims handler does on an adjusted basis of the complexity of the claim. And it takes them also longer, right? When one of the big risks that we've seen when claims adjusters spend too much time is that it opens the door for litigation. And now we're talking about three times the payout if you've got representation, right? So uh, it's in it's in the insurer's interest to have standardization of claims outcomes and that has been definitely a pain point so speed to proficiency of of claims adjusters in an industry that is having a ton of turnover is really really important the last is maintaining customer satisfaction right like insurance unfortunately and this this pains me so much being in the industry has this bad rap right of you know insurers don't want to pay out the claim and that's not how insurers think. I'm I'm deeply embedded. I've in... spoken to hundreds, if not thousands, of them, and everyone I talk to says that the claim is where the rubber meets the road, and that seriously, that the biggest joy that they have in their jobs is paying that claim out to somebody when they're at their most vulnerable point. There's exactly. got to be a better way to message this because that's not that's not true for any of the people to whom I've spoken. I've never heard someone say, "Yeah, we're always trying not to pay the claim." Never. They're trying to pay for a fair claim, and in in this day and age. I think with so much legal system abuse, the I think the system is somewhat trying to take advantage of insurers and trying to extract every dollar from the insurance company versus really what it's supposed to be that is to make to make the 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 claimant whole, yeah. right? If you yeah. if you lost your home, let's repair your home. But so so like is there's the the customer satisfaction and, and really maintaining that honest, true communication 
eliminated the opaqueness of adjustment methods, shortening processing times. These elements are very, very important. And these have been constant pain points that insurers are not being able to resolve, right? Right. And we've we're starting to see um, yeah, there's there's been insure techs emerging or or established in the in the claim space for, for many, many years. Like for example, CCC, right? Someone's very, very famous. And they've been providing customer-facing workflows for forever, right? Now I think there's a ton of evolution occurring in this space where they're trying to do things to really accelerate the use of predictive analytics, gathering information in a much, much more effective way to, to try to solve some of those pain points of gathering, analyzing data, right? Using AI capabilities in sure. select places yeah. of the workflows, right? Yeah. Really driving efficiency, consistency of the claims adjusters. For example, some, some insure techs are doing really cool things like using computer vision, right? To really automatically have damage estimation, um, review customer reports of when they're actually calling up for, for a claim, trying to understand what the sentiment is of that conversation, right. analyzes there's data that is missing in that first point of FNOL that is so critical, right? To be able to triage and send the claim through the right path through the process. So all of these are things that are are happening in the claim space and they're 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 really, really interesting, right? If I again, if I think about what's next, that that again, generative AI is is in everyone's in everyone's mind, right? To to what extent, right, will will generate generative AI be embedded in in the in the claims process, right? Will there be co-pilots that will assist your claims adjusters? right, to, to really summarize, gather some of the data from internal systems, put it in a way that is really, really easy for them to consume and really accelerate decisions. What we're starting to see is that, and, and this is, you know, not, not saying that Gen AI won't be a solution, but the reality is that there's, what we're seeing is that it has to be a human in the loop because we really need to prevent biases, prevent discriminatory outcomes of, of AI, right? Yeah. There's also the question of will will AI be leveraged to accelerate what has now been called parametric insurance, and that right now is based on very biased one one and zero outcomes, right? But will that be extended um, with all the sensors that exist in vehicles, and could there be a world where pay that payment of claims are are done automatically? Yeah. Right, and that way, really eliminating a lot of the need of of the claims adjustment, the back and forth, and it's just like, look, you this you've had an incident. This has been the damage that is nearly automatically calculated, and and this is how much you owed, right? right. And then, look, in, in in a reverse side, we've talked about fraud with the ability to generate images, generate videos, right. generate audio. Will that be used by fraudsters to continue to share? potential, you know, information that is it's an it's, it's an arms race at some level, right? Because exactly. You can create the tools like you can use Photoshop or you can use Adobe Premiere Pro and you can do use a whole bunch of artificial intelligence which we've done a lot to change kind of scenery and stuff like that. But what's going to happen is the fraudsters and the protectors of the truth are going to be in this arms race for how how can I trick them into believing that this thing is true when it's not and what kind of software can I build to 
completely understand that this has been adulterated, right? Yeah. That this has been changed. That's just going to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, right? And I don't think it's ever going to be perfect. But I think at the end of the day, this is my opinion, is that just like you said, the fraudsters are on the margin, it right? Is. And it's going to be fun to watch this tech race. Sorry, but I do think that the generative AI is going to be used in the claims process if it's not already there. But you're right, a hybrid, a hybrid response to this is the best way because the AI doesn't care about you. The human does. And it'll remove right. some of the bias, not all of it, because we all have some embedded biases as well. But that's going to be what's going to happen, I think. Sorry, go ahead. That's right. No, no, I com completely agree. And and I think that we like to look at every angle. Yeah. But as, as you said, the, the vast majority will be in improving the, the effectiveness, the accuracy of the outcome, as well as the experience of everyone involved. So that's where we see a significant positive improvement and that's you know that that's where we're working with a lot of carriers to try to improve that do people talk about para indemnity solutions right where part of the payment with where part of the payout is parametric and then the balance is indemnified is indemnified later when more of the facts are understood right so you have this whole policy and if it's parametric you get the data that says the payout's required the payout's already decided but then there's another part of the policy that says well maybe we need to indemnify you as well is that being talked about at all I think there's quite a little bit of discussion around parametric insurance as more and more data is is becoming available. Yeah. It's a tool that we believe will continue to be leveraged, especially for micro claims and and or or claims that have, as we say, very easily an, an outcome is very easily decided. Right. I think once you get into the hybrids, I I like the concept. It becomes a little harder, right, for to sure. manage. Yeah. But this, the evolution should go towards parametric, given that there's so much Data. information available. Yeah. Now, when will it be? That's that's a huge question, right? And will the consumers, you know, will it be more accepted in the commercial space versus in, in the personal space where, you know, professional risk managers, I think, are more amenable to some of these elements yeah. versus, you know, consumers, you know, as you well say, part of the support of an insurer is to be there when and to solve the issue, not just to provide the financial support to recover from, yeah. from the issue. Yeah. So there's, there's a little bit of, of nuance there. You kind of hinted at this, right? It's not just making the payout. It's all the services that are around there. There's so many things to cover. You guys have to come back. There's so much more stuff to cover. Look, I wanted to ask you what you think the next steps are. So how should traditional insurance companies approach this digital transformation at scale in light of all the investment trends that you talked about and all the opportunities pre presented by InsurTechs? Look, without a doubt, there's a ton of opportunity here as we've been discussing, yeah. right? I would say there's call it four big um, next steps that you can take, right? One of them is really assessing your capabilities. Take a, take a hard look at your capabilities. Are you delivering with the speed, with the efficiency that is expected in today's day and age? The second is reviewing your digital vendor strategy. Are you really thinking about who are the players that are in your tech stack and are they offering what you need, right? Are you thinking about an end-to-end -end player that can help you across many areas of the value chain? Will you be prepared for modular systems that allow you to plug and play the specific capabilities that you need as they evolve? Right? Or have you been leaning too much on build versus buy over the years? Yep. Right? And does that strategy need to change? 
the the third is around how are you thinking about growth in some of the white spaces right we we talked about it a little bit and we we didn't necessarily go into too too much detail but parametric insurance small commercial micro insurance Im embedded insurance all of these areas are huge growth opportunities they are and can insurtechs help you access those markets or accelerate your position in in those markets with capabilities that's really hard for you to build right, right. And the last one I think is a little bit broader, but it's more of a cultural shift. It's like, are you really thinking about activating your change and your innovation engine within the organization, right? Do you have the right talent, the right initiatives, the right structures to really accelerate the use of these types of players and many others, right? To test, to learn, to really accelerate with pilots and scaling some of the learning rapidly. Absolutely. So those four elements, I think, are very, very valid next steps. And we're always more than happy to have discussions with, with carriers that are looking to evolve in this space. I would suggest that the last one is probably the hardest one to address and the one that's going to take the most time. The technological solutions are, I'm going to use the relative terms, are easier. But this, the mindset shift is really hard. Okay, guys. This conversation was the exact thing that I wanted to have. This was the reason when I saw this report, this is the exact reason that I wanted to get both of you on the, on the phone and do this recording. I really appreciate it. Pablo Segovia-Smith, a partner at BCG's insurance practice. I love the way G was struggling not to call it INSPA the entire time. It made me smile. And Guillermo Stefano, a senior solutions analyst at BCG FinTech Control Tower. You were both awesome. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you. Thank you.